What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. I am joined today by the CEO of Relay Delivery. Now, this company started in 2014 to solve the problem of restaurants relying on in-house couriers to make deliveries. They're now working with companies like Sweet Green, Just Salad, Papa John's, and deliver over 25,000 orders a day. They're blowing up. They're huge. They've been around forever, and they just keep growing. Alex, I almost think of you. Oh, and his name, by the way, is Alex Bloom. <laughs> so, Alex, thanks for joining us on Give Innovation, man. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. One of the interesting things, as, as I was reading through this, it's almost as if you had some crystal ball about what the future of delivery was going to be. And I thought it was just so interesting to read. I literally had to read it probably four times. I'm like, yeah, it says 2014. Yeah, 2014. Because this is something that, um, you know, you, you, you foresaw this huge gap. And I want to get to talking about that. But first of all, tell me a little bit more about uh, Relay. Yeah, so the, so Relay in so many words is a last mile fulfillment service. Um, some people call it logistics as a service or delivery as a service. Um, the sort of the thesis has shifted a little bit in the like almost decade that we've been in existence. Initially, it was uh, and initially is like 2014. Um, initially, it was about allowing restaurants to outsource their in-house delivery component. So this is in New York, uh, which is where we're based and, and kind of our core market where we started. Uh, and all these restaurants do famously do delivery. But back then, they all had their own delivery staff in-house. So like if you ordered you know, bagels or whatever, somebody that was employed by that restaurant would come and ring your doorbell. And so when we started, the premise was you know, you're in the bagel industry or business, not in the logistics business, right? Outsource right. that to us. And like, well, well, there was a whole efficiency component that like is a lot nerdier and, and, and less, less interesting. I think it's interesting, but um, restaurants took to that idea, like avidly. They love the, the thought of being able to outsource that last mile component. Um, and so we grew like a weed. Uh, the thesis now has shifted where, like if you look at most markets, almost no one hires their own delivery guys anymore. Like very few, it's rare now. Uh, right. And it is a lot more about putting merchants in control of the delivery experience. And, and to do that, we basically uh, talk about this concept of self-delivery. And so very few people understand or, or realize even that on Uber, DoorDash, and Grubhub, and really Waiter, all of them have this um, ASAP now, uh, that you, as a merchant, can deliver orders yourself. Yeah. And I remember at the height of the pandemic, I worked with the, um, the uh, RTN, the Restaurant Technology Network, great, great organization. And we put together a TCO, Total Cost of Ownership Calculator, 
around uh, delivery. And yeah. what was so fascinating is at the time, and this is this is mid 2020, people were like, okay, well, you have two options for delivery, hire your own drivers or, or third party. And a big push of this was educating people that no, you don't, you don't have to choose between having a full-time person sitting there waiting for delivery or giving up 30% to a third party. You yeah. can do this outsourced model, which, which makes a lot of sense. And one of the questions I have is like, when, when is it a good idea to, well, is it ever a good idea to do your own delivery? Like when, when does doing your own delivery make sense versus outsourcing versus third party in your opinion? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and by the way, so, for this question, Alex, if you can take your relay hat off. Of course, of course. Because yeah, yeah, I'd love if, to, because you you know so much about this industry. So I'd love to just get your your honest thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If 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 you were my brother and you came to me and like, hey, I own a restaurant, like what should we, you know, what what should we do around delivery? I think the first question I'd ask you is how much volume do you do? And so mm-hmm. if you own, say, a cafe that doesn't do, you know, more than couple orders a day or like 10 orders a day, I'd probably say it's probably not worth hiring somebody to do that delivery yourself. Yeah. Doing like fully owning, like employing people to do delivery for you works when you have scale. Mm. So you need volume for that. And so think of Domino's pizza or Jimmy John's, right? Like they employ their delivery drivers they do a buttload of volume. Um, and so in those instances, it probably makes sense. Like it, 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 the, the case to have your own internal delivery staff makes sense. My argument for a brand like those is that they still should outsource. Like outsourcing would save them a ton of money. Yeah. And the reason, the reason for that, to, to put my relay at, on for one second is Please. like originally when we started the company, the efficiency premise was every time like Domino's pizza, every time a Domino's driver rings a doorbell, they have to return empty handed to that location, which is called a deadhead trip in logistics. People, people make their careers solving this problem, by the way. Interesting. And so Domino's or the franchisee is paying that courier, that driver, you know, an hourly wage to do, to just base it for waste. It's, that's waste of time. If you add up the minutes of a uh, driver returning empty handed across all the Domino's in the United States, it's probably millions of minutes. I mean, it's millions of hours a year. I mean, it's, it's, you're probably spending not quite 50% of your time, but including, uh, yeah, coming back, I mean, you're spending at least 25 to 30% of the time of just driving back, right? It is a huge, exactly. It is a huge, huge piece of the delivery for those brands. And so what, what we did, right, was recognize that that was a real problem and that it happened 200,000 times a day in New York City, that every delivery had an empty return trip. And that if we aggregated a pool of couriers and created a network of restaurants, we essentially could just route that courier to the nearest pickup from their last drop-off. And so in the case of the Domino's, you know, at that scale, like they can make it work in-house, 
but there's for sure there's a huge huge case to be made about outsourcing delivery for this that's fascinating and and something that i mean honestly i've been in this business since i was a kid i've never even thought about paying drivers to come back because or or i've never thought about the option of not having to pay drivers to come back and if you yeah. if you optimize that then yeah they're just going from restaurant to customer from restaurant to customer restaurant to customer um yeah, that, yeah, that's that's beautiful. So go, going forward, because obviously you're someone who you were able to see this a long time ago. You're able to see this gap in the market and, and see what's coming. Looking further to the future, Alex, what what is the future of delivery? How do how do humans, um, uh, drones, driverless, is, is that is that ever going to become? Are the are the robotics the the unmanned? Um, you know, aut- autonomous version of delivery, is that ever going to become widespread or is that always going to be like a niche thing? I currently do not see that as a widespread thing. Um, I think the future, like the, and I'm talking like future in the next couple of years, um, not like 50 years out, you know, who knows? Um, the future in my mind is, a lot more consolidation on the back end. And this is no doubt preaching to like what we do. Exactly. Yeah. Like I can't help. I can't help that. No, no, it. please. Um, I mean, yeah. Now, now you can keep your relay hat back on. I, I just want to know, yeah. like, how, how do you envision the future for this? Yeah. I think it's really simple, man. It is essentially, I like, don't think, I guess like there's huge, there's a huge question mark around. And I think we're seeing that now more so than ever around the, uh, sustainability or viability, really, 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 of models like a DoorDash or an Uber Eats. They have never made money. And five years ago, it was all about like, we're going to expand and like own the market. And as soon as we do that, we will print money. But DoorDash owns that market now, pretty much. They are, they just cut 1,200 jobs today. Um, I heard. And are not even like close to making money. It's like not, it's not even like debatable. Um, and so it's just like, how does that, like, how, how much longer can they be basic, basically default dead and have investors back them? So that's like one question, but uh, to the root of it, of the question, it does make, it makes no sense that consumers are ordering across a variety of different channels and that each individual channel is delivering that food. So in yeah. other words, to put this like in a concrete example, you have you know a popular pizzeria, they get an order from DoorDash and an order from Uber Eats that are going to two homes that are neighbors. That's two different people doing the job that like really one person should be doing. And so that's, that's something that Relay does. Um, and it just, if it's not Relay, somebody else will do it but it is like trying to prevent electricity from finding the like closest, fastest path to the ground. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just inevitable. Well, I think that makes, it's really interesting talking about DoorDash because if you look at their last few years, like the financials and from 2018, 19, 20 to 21, they went from 4 million users to 10 to 20 and then oh, yeah. uh, to, to 25. 
But then if you look at their their net income, they're you know they lost 200 million, then 700 million, then 450 million, then another 450 million. So they they to your point of like you have 25 million uh, users a year. This is last year. This year, I wonder if it's closer to 30, and you're still losing 468 million dollars a year. I yeah. mean that 25 million users seems like a pretty good market penetration. And so the question sure. is, how do you how do you fix that, right? And I think to your point, is it doesn't make sense when you have all of these you have these big players that are all fighting over who can lose a little bit less money, right? Because they're trying yeah. to buy the market share from each other, and you just lose so much efficiency with that. Yeah, I yeah, I guess the question is like if it if it's really like. It pretty much right now it's it's Uber and DoorDash are sort of the like two two gorillas in the room. Um, does it require monopoly? Like does it does it does DoorDash need to be the only like truly the last man standing for them to turn a profit? Uh, you know if that's the case, then like are there prior business case studies? where it's just like down to one company for, it'll be historic kind of a thing. I I can't think of any examples where it's like, yep, if there's more than one player, then no player can make a profit. And basically it needs to be, you know, not a monopoly, but a one player system for them to make, to have a business case. I just, I I don't see that. I, I, you know, I think two players is pretty concentrated. And if, you know, between those two, neither of them can figure it out. uh, I think it is, uh, pretty grim. Yeah, I mean, the the Uber and Uber Eats and DoorDash, or just Uber and DoorDash in general. I mean, they're losing a billion dollars a year. That's yeah. uh that's some big money there. Um, hey, that is a right, lot of money. Yeah, let's pause for just one sec. Let the yeah. sirens pass, and then uh, Macy or Kyle, who's ever editing this, just clip out this one little part here. I cannot believe you can pick that up, man. <laughs> like it's like all the way in the distance. <laughs> Do you know what's so bizarre is I think doing doing a lot more of these podcasts, I've become like yeah, much more attuned to. And um, Zach, I can like go into a room. No, no, no. You, you're honestly, you're you're totally fine. That that, that was. If there's something like that, I'll, I will pause it. But you, other than that, just because I mean, dude, I, I want I want to make sure that your podcast sounds yeah, as professional as possible, I'll get make it. you look good. Sad. We're just trying to that that like if anything, sprinkle some of that New York flavor <laughs> and the like soundscape in the background. It's just like if you're anyway, you, well, you wouldn't believe how loud like my apartment is, man. Or like the office. Oh, I know. I lived in yeah. I lived in Harlem. And- oh no way. Yeah, I lived I in Harlem, and, and um, I lived on the 13th floor of a 10-story building. They had converted a, an elevator shaft, like you know the the old elevator shafts used to be huge with the counterweights. Uh, they converted that into three more floors, and so I, I remember the oh, first time wow. I went to that apartment, I went up to the 10th floor. I got in the elevator, went up to the 10th floor, and I was like, oh, maybe there's another elevator shaft that goes to the 13th. Walked all the way around the building, went back down to the lobby to the concierge, and I'm like, um. Hey, I, I don't see a 13th floor. They're like, oh yeah, go up the elevator across the building, and then there's a stairwell, and then you could go up three no flights. No way. So even though you were <laughs> so you were on a third floor walk-up on the on, 13th floor. On the 13th floor, yeah, exactly. Wow. And by the way, anyway, what, I, I was paying a thousand dollars a month for that. 
Yeah, well, that sounds like a bargain to be honest with you, man. <laughs> I know. Well, except I didn't have I didn't have running water. Um, the Wait, the yeah, dude, the, the three floors we shared. There were five apartments and one bathroom on the three floors. And in, you walk into the bathroom, and there was one toilet, one shower, and two sinks. Wait, so wait, the, wait. So I like, get to be in line to use the bathroom, pretty much. Yeah, and it was just me and four other women, and that was. <laughs> So we we fought over the blow dryer in the morning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is crazy, man! That is some New York like story right there for oh, sure. Oh man, I, I, it it was fun. I mean, it's crazy. I I worked in Soho, and so it was like you know like a 35, 40 minute commute depending on the day. My parents live 35, 40 minutes away from New York, and I was like, yeah. no, like I'm gonna be on my own. I'm gonna live in the city. And then I was like, wait, this is like. <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> oh man, it's part of the experience. No, it was fun. I'm I'm glad I did it. But um yeah. anyway, so hey. actually, you know what? Hey, Macy Kyle, keep this, keep this part in. Why not? Uh <laughs> I, I know we're we're almost out of time here. Sure. We, um okay, last couple of questions here, Alex. Sure. Uh what are what are the most important aspects of guest experience nowadays? I to me it's it's super clear, especially with inflation and prices going up. Uh, if you look at, in, in short, it's trying to keep prices low and affordable. Uh, it's something that third-party delivery apps have struggled with, and like it ties nicely into like the whole path to profitability. But it's just like cliche now to order a you know twenty-dollar you know pizza and have the total come out to like fifty bucks. Yeah. like the fees and you know and whatnot so i think uh keeping things streamlined and tight in terms of budget is is paramount these days i think a lot of consumers have that in mind yeah i think take taking prices is really tough especially nowadays it's like you have I, I hate to t- I hate to say it this way but it's kind of like you had your chance to take price uh last year for sure Th- this year Guests aren't really, you know, right now, guests just aren't having it, right? It's it's not a not a big thing anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, yep. And so many, I, we'll see what, you know, the Q4 reports look like. I think, I, I think everyone has been surprised in how uh, stable it's been in terms of, you would expect given the current conditions of inflation and like questionable recession, you'd expect something like delivery to be at the top of the list in terms of cutting expenses, but it seems a lot more robust. So it doesn't seem like volume is created necessarily, but still like the question is like how much more will consumers be accepting of, you know, a $50, Twenty dollar pizza. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? I mean, I remember the first time I spent twenty five dollars in a large pie, and I'm like, "What just happened?" For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, one of the things that uh, I'd love to talk about is um, who deserves innovation in the restaurant industry. Who's who's someone that we should be following? Who are some thought leaders that uh, that you follow? Dig. Uh, is a restaurant chain. Uh, they are, I don't think they would 
scoff at being called a fast casual, but they are, I'd say, a fast casual um, here in New York. They're yeah, in they're Boston f- as well. Their food um, looks so good. Yeah. They, I think, are at the bleeding edge of both food and kind of how they think. They're, they're a customer of ours um, of how they think about delivery. So I'd give them a shout out. Um, they have never been afraid to experiment and like try new things. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely cool. Uh, cool company, cool branding, great yeah. food. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think they're definitely up and coming. Haven't, haven't quite gotten the, the swagger attention that I feel like they deserve. So glad, glad you're giving them a shout out. Um, yeah, now Alex, sure. how do people find you and relay? We, yeah, uh, we, truth be told, keep a pretty low profile, but we are trying to change that, especially on LinkedIn. Uh, so if you want to find us on LinkedIn and like uh, follow, comment, subscribe, in no particular <laughs> order, uh, that'd be great. Uh, but yeah, trying to position, position ourselves as more of a thought leader in this space. I truly think that we are an incredibly unique company both from our culture uh, perspective, like from our culture, but also on the business side, they're really, like you, you mentioned one company that is similar to what we're doing. I, despite them being in a similar space, I truly think that we're the only, like I think today we are the only ones doing what we do. There used to be a couple of names, but they, you know, for many different reasons, uh, kind of pivoted or, or just went out of business. Um, I think today we're, we are more or less a last man standing. Yeah. Well, let, yeah. let's hope, let's hope you guys keep standing and, uh, you bet. Alex for, for helping to drive this industry forward. Today's ovation goes to you. Thank you so much for joining us on giving ovation. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me. Glad you're with us today. And thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.